0: So we are working our way through Luke's gospel here at Grace Church. And today's passage, in today's passage, Jesus talks about financial giving, giving money. Touchy topic. So that's going to be our topic this afternoon. And I just want to let you know, this is a little bit awkward for me, because your financial giving to Grace Church goes to help me with my income, right? You support me and the other staff here. So I just want to lay out a couple of things just so I won't feel quite as awkward. Okay, bear with me for a few moments here. Number one, when we talk about giving, we are not just talking about giving to the local church. We are talking about that, but that's not all that Jesus has in mind. Jesus also calls us to give to the poor and needy in his name. It's a huge part of giving. And he also calls us to give for the work of missions and church planting so that we can see missionaries and churches planted in places where the gospel is not being heard right now. So when you hear giving, we're thinking about the church, yes, but we're also thinking about the poor and the needy, and we're thinking about missions and church planting as well. Second thought, just for introduction to make me feel better, is that when you give more to Grace Church, that does not mean that the pastor's salaries all go up. It's not how it works here. We don't set our own salaries. Our salaries are set by the finance team working in consultation with the unpaid elders. Nash Bridge is doing a fantastic job leading our finance team, and they set the salaries. I love that. We're out of the picture. They seek the Lord, and then we say, yes, sir, to the Lord. So when you give more to Grace Church, it's not an increase of salaries, but what it does increase is our ability to care for the poor and the needy through our benevolence fund. It increases various ministries here at the church, children's ministry, youth ministry, other ministries we can advance the gospel through. It enlarges our capacity to support missionaries and missions and church planting in this city and in other areas in this region. This is a massively needy part of the world spiritually. So that's what the money's going to be going to. One last thought. The elders do not know how much anyone gives here. I love that. Some of the finance team know some of what some give just because of how they're given. But that's all kept confidential amongst the finance team because we want your giving to be between you and the Lord. So that the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing. This is between you and your savior completely. I love that. So just some things. I'm feeling better already. This is good. With that in mind, let's turn to this shocking passage. Luke 21, 1 through 4. This is one of Jesus' more shocking statements about giving. He has lots of them. This is one of them. In the first two verses, Luke focuses us on what Jesus sees. Notice how often the word sees takes place in these first two verses. So let's start by asking, what is Jesus seeing? Verses one and two. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Jesus, over these last few paragraphs, you can read them, has been teaching right across from where the temple is. And he looks up and he sees the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So imagine a rich person, one after another, these gold and silver coins clinking, clunk, 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 clunk pouring into this offering box. Thousands of durhams worth of giving from, from the rich. Then Jesus sees a poor widow coming up to the offering box. Widows faced financial struggle, great difficulty. And this poor widow comes up and what she drops into the offering box is two small copper coins. Not the clink, 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 clink of gold and silver, but like ping, ping. And, just, and those coins are worth less than one one-hundredth of a durham. Less than one one-hundredth of a durham. She puts those in. That's what Jesus is seeing here. The rich putting in their large amounts of money, and this poor widow putting in two small copper coins together, which are worth less than one one-hundredth of a durham. And then Jesus says something shocking. He tells us which of these, the rich or the widow, gave more. So let's ask, who gave more? It's obvious, isn't it? I mean, the gold and silver coins of the rich would have been worth thousands of times more than the widow's two copper coins. So it's obvious who gave more. It's the rich, Right? I mean, those two copper coins, hardly even worth giving, we might think. It's not what Jesus says. Look at verses 3 and 4. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This poor widow, with her two small copper coins worth one, one less than one one-hundredth of a dirham. what she gave was more than all of their gold and silver coins. Why? Why? Let's ask it this way. How was the widow's giving more? More how, Jesus? How? Not more an amount of money, clearly. Thousands of dirhams worth versus less than one one-hundredth of a dirham. Massive difference in terms of amounts. So how is it more? Notice the word for at the beginning of verse 4. That word for shows that Jesus is now giving a reason. It's like, because, since, here's the reason I just said she gave more. Verse 4, for, because they all, the rich, all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The rich looked at their abundance and gave some of their money. She looked at the little that she had. That's all she had was those two little copper coins. And she gave it all. All. I mean, she could have looked at these two little copper coins, all she had, and given just one. Nobody would have faulted her for that. It's not what she did. She gave both. She gave all that she had to support the temple with its worship of God and the glory of God that was experienced and displayed in that place. Why would she do that? I picture something like this going on. She's she's walking to the temple, to that offering box, and she's praying, oh God, Jehovah, Yahweh, you are glorious. I love you. It's like Psalm sixteen eleven says. She maybe was praying, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. Or, or like Psalm twenty seven four is saying, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That's what I'm going to seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Lord, I love worshiping You in Your temple. My greatest joy is beholding your glory when I worship in the temple. My my greatest joy is seeing others glorifying you and magnifying you in the temple. My greatest joy is to see worship in the temple, drawing others to come in and to start worshiping you. God, my greatest joy is worshiping you, glorifying you in the temple. So, Father, nothing would give me more joy with this money than supporting more of your worship in the temple. There's nothing I could use this money for that would give me any more joy than more glory to God, more worship of God, more magnifying of God. So, clink, clink, glory! And she walks away beaming. There's no sense of obligation here or I should or I'm supposed to. Joy! You're my joy. Clink, clink. Woo! Glory. So, how was her giving more than the rich people's giving? Not more in amount, but more in desire. When it came to money, the rich had some desire for God's glory in the temple. They gave some of their money, but the widow wanted. God's glory more than anything else. She wanted God's glory more than anything she could use that money for. Savings, food, yours. Her greatest joy was God and so she gave it all. Not more in amounts, but more in desire, more in joy, more in love for God was where she was. That's how what she gave was more. Now, let me kind of flesh this out a little bit. I want to give you another illustration. You may be shocked right now. That's a good thing if you are. Be shocked. I've been shocked all week long. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, for an illustration of others who gave just like this widow. Here's the background to 2 Corinthians 8. At the time Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Corinth, the believers in Jerusalem were facing horrible poverty, desperate need. We aren't sure exactly why, maybe persecution, maybe famine, we aren't sure why, but it was desperate poverty and need that they were facing. And so when Paul went and visited the churches he had planted, he urged them to take an offering and to and to give it to the churches, the believers in Jerusalem. And then when Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, he tells the believers in Corinth about how the believers in these other churches, like Thessalonica and Philippi, how they had given for the believers in Jerusalem. Look at what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4. through The Macedonian churches gave just like the poor widow did. Verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, the churches of Macedonia also had poverty, not as bad as those in Jerusalem, but they had had their poverty, extreme poverty, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, just like the widow, of their own accord. No one made them do this. This is what they wanted to do. And then get verse four. This is amazing. Begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Oh, church. This is amazing. And notice the grace of God does this. The grace of God brings this about. Notice these believers who gave this way were not just in poverty, they were in extreme poverty. And notice in verse 4 how much they wanted to give. They were begging Paul earnestly for the favor of contributing. Paul, please, please, Paul, let us give. We want to give for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are struggling. Please, Paul, let us give, begging him to give. And notice in verse 3, they gave according to their means, and in some cases, beyond their means, more than they could afford to give. Now, why did they give so much? I think it's because if you just think about what would have been happening in their hearts, is because they wanted to help their brothers and sisters for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' glory, more than anything else they wanted to do with that money. More than buying something, more than saving more, more than relieving their own needs, their joy was the glory of Jesus that would be displayed as the brothers and sisters in Christ were helped by their, by their giving. There was nothing they wanted more with their money than supporting their brothers and sisters. They knew that's what would bring them the most joy, was giving in that way. And that's also what was in the widow's heart in Luke chapter 24. What she wanted more than anything else was the glory of God displayed and felt as she was worshiping, as others were worshiping, as others were drawn into worship. So more than anything else her money could go to, what she wanted was to give to support the temple worship, and the glory of God. And Jesus points her out to his listeners because he wants us to do the same thing. He commends her to us. But now that raises some important questions, which we want to talk about here. It's like, whoa. One question is about tithing. Many Christians believe that what God calls us to do is to give 10% of our income. So let's ask, what about tithing? How does tithing fit into the story of this widow? I used to believe that that's what God called all of us to do, but a few years or over, the, over the years, my, my thinking has changed. And I would encourage you to do your own study on this. The Bible's your authority, right? Let's just be clear on this. What's your authority? The Bible. Not me. My job is to point you to the Bible, say, look at this, look at this, look at this, and you need to study it for yourself and say, okay, that's right, or I don't know. Um, But Let me share with you just a couple thoughts as to what my thinking has been affected by. The Old Testament did command the tithe, absolutely. But there are commands in the Old Testament that Jesus, being God in the flesh, changed. Trinity was 100% behind that, obviously. One God, three persons. Like circumcision, not eating pork, animal sacrifices. All those commands of the Old Testament were changed by Jesus. The New Testament changed some things. And Jesus never commands us to tithe. He never does. Jesus affirms the Pharisees who gave 10%. In Matthew 23, 23, so he confirms the Pharisees, Matthew 23, 23, but he also confirms Zacchaeus, who gives 50% in Luke 19. And we just saw in Luke 21 how Jesus commends this widow who gives 100% Everything. Everything. So my conclusion over this and just looking at the other things Jesus actually says about money is that the New New Testament believers giving is not a matter of mathematics. It's not a matter of the calculator, just punch in 10%. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. When we know and experience and taste of the joy of knowing God in Jesus Christ and hear his promises that he will provide for us. And again, know by experience that he's my all satisfying joy. Then there will be no better use for our funds than what will display his glory. Cause the more we see his glory, the more joy we have What will magnify his glory, which will be for our greatest joy. What will, extend his glory to more and more other people, which will increase, increase our joy even more. That's what would give the most joy. So how much should you give? How much joy do you want? Is the question Jesus would want you to wrestle with. We want to give as much as we can, as much as we can, When we behold Jesus, taste his joy, behold his glory, hear his promise to provide for us. We want to give as much as we can. How much joy do we want? We will want more than any other way our money could be spent. Boy, just let this settle on us. I've been letting this settle on me. We will want more than anything else our money could be spent on or invested in. We will want to care for the poor in Jesus' name more than anything else. We will want to send out missionaries and plant churches more than anything else. We will want to strengthen our brothers and sisters at Grace Church and advance the gospel through the city more than anything else. That's what will be in our hearts. The grace of God will bring that about in our hearts. That's what Jesus calls us to be. That's what he calls us to do. Now some of you are thinking, there's another question here we gotta talk about though. What about our other financial responsibilities, right? We've got to talk about that. That's very important. The New Testament is clear that we are called to provide for our households and not be a financial burden on others, if at all possible. We're called to that. Let me just give you two scriptures. 1 Timothy 5.8. So here's what we're doing now. We've just seen this big push. Luke 21, the widow, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, what I want more than anything else with my money is to give it away for Jesus' glory, because that's what's going to bring me the greatest joy now and forever. But there's other responsibilities as well, First Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Feel how strong those words are. Denied the faith. Doesn't get any more serious than that. This is very important. Look also at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, and 8. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. So he wants us to imitate him and what he's going to say. Because we were not idle when we were with you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, big pause here. Please hear this. If you run into like a medical emergency or some other kind of financial emergency that leaves you in need, don't feel guilty about that. That happens, right? We are family here. Paul would not say, you're becoming a burden. He would say, church, help, right? That's what he would say here. These things happen. And if you're in a a home group and you run into an emergency financial situation yourself, talk to your home group leader and they'll talk to the benevolence team. By the way, our benevolence team is led by Graham Humphrey right back here who's doing such a fantastic job. We have an amazing benevolence team. So if you're in a home group, share with your home group leader who will share with the benevolence team We'll get to work on this. If you're not in a home group, get into a home group. And before you do, or while you are, email us. We'll connect you with the Benevolence team. They will come alongside you and help you and work these things through with you. Paul is saying that we should desire, one of our desires, to provide for our households And not be a financial burden to others. So there is a place for saving and budgeting and planning. Don't misunderstand. Jesus pointing out the the woman who gave the two tiny copper coins. There is a place for budgeting, planning, and saving. But then how do we put this together with Luke 24? got like almost two competing things going on here. Here's why I would suggest we think about this. First of all, understand, we are called to provide for our households and not become a burden to somebody else financially if we can avoid it, that's crucial. So we do need to spend money on food, on clothes, on savings, cars, education, whatever, we do need to provide, all right? And at the same time, just like the widow, we are called to have hearts whose greatest desire, greatest joy, is not buying these shoes or investing this money, but whose greatest joy is giving for your glory. I want to give all I can for the glory of Jesus Christ, Lord, because that's where my greatest joy is. That's what we should all be praying in our hearts. That's what was in the, the widow's heart. And when we have that desire in our hearts, Lord, my greatest joy, the, the best thing I can put this money towards will bring me the greatest joy is caring for the poor. It's sending out missionaries and planting churches. It's building up my brothers and sisters here at Grace. Lord. That's the That's the way that I'm going to have the greatest joy. This money here, this... Like don't waste your hard-earned money, right? Put it in what's going to bring you the greatest joy. It's not buying stuff. It's glorifying Christ. Now, if you haven't tasted of that, if that's just like words to you, press in until you taste. That's reality. That's who Jesus is. Oh, he's infinitely more satisfying than anything your money can buy. Do you know that by experience? Oh, if you haven't tasted that for a while, press in until you, like the psalmist says, who have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. When you taste the beauty of the Lord as you meditate on the scriptures, you'll know nothing else can satisfy you like him. And that desire then will make you lean into giving away more. More. You'll, you'll, you've got these responsibilities, but, oh, I... I want to give more. I'm going to maintain those responsibilities, but I'm pushing the envelope over here. That's what will happen in your heart. Because that's your greatest joy. Now There will be times, or might be times when after prayer and seeking God, we give more than we should. Maybe even everything. Like the widow. Now my father did that once. Maybe even everything, like the widow. And because this is God's leading when you are praying and seeking the Lord and you sense he's calling you to do this. He will provide everything you need just like he would have done for this widow. I'm sure the father provided everything she needed. She was free. She was trusting, full of joy. He met her. So that's how I would encourage you to put these two things together. We have responsibilities to care for our household and not to be a financial burden. That's there. But our greatest joy... We want to have our hearts so that the the most exciting expenditure we make is what's going to bring us more joy in Christ now and forever. Because everything else is inferior to that. Now, church, this is so different from what the advertisements are telling you, from what the world is shouting at you, right? Fight the fight. That's my next question, though. How do we develop hearts like this widow? Listen, church, I need more of a heart like this widow. This has been such a good passage for me this week. I'm working on this. We all need to work on this. None of us has this down perfectly. How do we develop hearts like this widow? How do we nurture hearts that would rather, we may need to put money in savings. Some of you may need to save more. Okay, well, got to get that out there. But how do we develop hearts where man, I'd rather be giving it away? I'd rather be caring for the poor needy planting churches, building up my brothers and sisters. How do we develop hearts that are like that? Or we'd we'd rather put our money towards God's glory than getting a nicer apartment or a, a new TV or whatever it might be. How do we develop hearts like that? Here's three steps that I think you might find helpful. I have found them helpful. I'm pursuing them all the time. First, pray and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. Well, first, there's, there's bad news. You can't change your heart by your own willpower. You can't make yourself, by, by discipline, stop wanting to buy whatever that is, new golf clubs or just having some food or whatever it might be. You, you can't, by your own willpower, change your, your heart in those ways, but the Holy Spirit will, can and will. So pray, pray. And ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, God will, as you open up the scriptures and pray, seek his face, he will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you afresh and use the truth of his word to change your heart. You've experienced this, haven't you? Times where you've been so downcast and you open up the scriptures and start to pray. And in, sometimes it's two minutes, sometimes it's 30, but in time, you are a new person. The Holy Spirit comes through the word and changes your heart. He can do it in this situation as well. So pray and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Second, strengthen your faith that God will provide for you. This is so important. If you are fearful and worried about your financial future, you will not have much joy in giving. You'll think I'd I'd rather be putting this toward my financial future, which looks so fearful at this point. Can we all relate to that? I can totally relate to that. Okay. We won't want to give more to God's work. We'll want to put more into preparing for a future. Now there's nothing wrong with saving. I did say that, okay? Nothing wrong with saving you. Some of you may need to save more. But here's the question: what gives you more joy? That's the question that gets to the very heart of things. What gives you more joy? So how can you strengthen your faith so that you are confident God will provide? You got to still be responsible budget, save plan, but God's going to take care of all of this. How can you strengthen your faith so that you're confident that God will provide? He's got your back in these things. Open your Bible to the promises where God says he will and pray over those promises think about those promises, trust those promises until you experience the Holy Spirit changing your heart about those promises and so you look ahead to the future and it's all covered. God's going to take care of us financially. Here's a verse I would encourage you to use. Philippians 4.19 And my God will, underline that word in your Bibles, will supply every need, How many needs? Every need. God never says, oops, I I didn't know about that one. Every need. He will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. Because you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, your heart-satisfying treasure, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and all of God's promises in the Bible for you are true. All of them are true. He will keep every single one. 2 Corinthians 1.20, <clears throat> for as many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they are yes, yes. He will supply every need of yours. That does not mean you'll become a millionaire. Be a... Discerning and watchful about the prosperity gospel, which tells you to give so that you can get money, as if that should be our motivation. Doesn't mean you'll become a millionaire, but it does mean it means this God will give you exactly the amount of money you need, lots or little, but exactly what you need to have the greatest joy. In the universe now and forever which is the joy of knowing God in Christ that's what we want that's all I want so pray over this promise until you know and feel and believe God will provide for you how can you tell if you're not believing that? because you're worried that's how I can tell because I'm fearful but God's going to provide everything He's promised, and that'll free you to give more for God's glory. Final step, strengthen your faith that Jesus is your all-satisfying joy. If you think that what's going to really make you happy is spending your money on, I don't know what, getting some new shoes or getting a new hat, dude, you know, you're looking, you're looking good, or whatever it might be. You know, it's all the stuff that's out there. Just walk through the malls, there; the, it's all right there. Buy me, buy me. I'm going to make you happy. If you think that material possessions or more money and savings is what's going to make you happy, you know that's not true. You've bought enough stuff, right? Jesus Christ is your only all-satisfying treasure. I mean, he, he really is. And when you behold him and worship him, look at his love displayed in his death on the cross. Look at his powerful victory rising from the tomb. Look at how he healed the blind Bartimaeus. Eyes could see. How he spoke to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, just look at who Jesus is. Look at his power, his justice, his majesty, his beauty, his authority, his tenderness, his kindness, his love. Knowing him, worshiping him, beholding him, just like we sang earlier, that is your by far highest joy. But, oh, church, we get sucked into thinking other things are going to make us happy, right? All the time, don't we? All the time. So we got to pull out God's word in battle. And I would encourage you to use John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that gives you the life you're looking for. You want to get a life? You want to find life? Jesus is the and the only bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Think of how hungry and thirsty your heart is for joy. We all crave joy here. God has put that in you to be satisfied in him, knowing him through Jesus Christ. He's given you that desire. Nothing else is going to satisfy it, but him, and he will. When you come to him, it's like Jesus says here, when you come to him, Open up his word, pray, worship, believe, and when you see who he is, and you love him, and you trust him, and you worship him, and you ask him, help me strengthen my faith, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here, help me, he will pour the Spirit out upon you afresh, and as you come to him, and as you believe in him, as you trust in him, all your heart hungers and heart thirsts for joy will be satisfied. He will come and satisfy you again, and again, and again. And when you taste his joy, you will know by experience that he's your all-satisfying treasure and that nothing else can satisfy you. And you'll have that joy, and you'll want to you'll give because it's flowing out of your joy, and you'll want to give because it's going to bring you even more joy in him. That's how it works. So let me encourage you. Pray and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Strengthen your faith that God will provide for you, and strengthen your faith that Jesus is your all-satisfying joy. Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries to inland China, and in his biography, got sections from his journal, and he writes the story of a Chinese couple in inland China who'd come to faith had been spreading the gospel through their city, but were very burdened for another city a little ways away where there was no gospel witness whatsoever. And this husband and wife team, they, were, they started to pray together for that city, praying regularly, diligently, fervently, day after day, week after week, praying, praying, praying. One day the wife said after they would prayed, we've prayed a lot. Isn't it time for us to do something? He said, we have no money to do anything more. We're pouring out everything we can for this city. She said, how much would it cost to send someone there? He told her. And she said, no more. But the next morning, she came in with a big smile on her face. And she laid on the table a packet wrapped in cloth. And he opened it up. And it was all of her jewelry, gold and silver, all, all the jewelry that a Chinese woman would have as her dowry, which is what would support her if her husband died. Her whole dowry, that, that future financial security. She laid it down on the table. Her husband said, you, you can't do without that. She said, yes, I can. Let Hu Chao, that was the name of the city, let Hu Chao have the gospel. Later, Hudson Taylor met this couple, heard the story of what she had done. And he asked her, don't you miss your beautiful things? She smiled, said, miss them? I have Jesus. You know he's enough, don't you? Isn't he enough? That's what'll happen. God, by his grace, can free us from worry about finances for the future. He can free us from thinking we're going to be satisfied by other things that we buy. He's going to free us from those things. So we're, we're leaning into, we've got other responsibilities that are very important. Don't forget those. But we're leaning into, I want to give More. And as we see, feel, experience the joy of knowing Christ and as we see the promises of his provision for us and the promises that he is our all-satisfying treasure, we'll be freed to give more and as a result, we will have more, even more joy in Christ Shocking passage, church. Think about this widow. And let's pray that by God's grace, He would make each of us like that widow for His glory. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing teaching. Shocking, so countercultural, so challenging. And thank you for your promise of the Spirit who will, by your grace, put these things into our hearts and change our hearts and free our hearts and satisfy our hearts in you so that we love giving more than anything else, even while we're taking care of other responsibilities, but we're, we're loving most of all the possibility of using our money for your glory. Pour that out upon us, I praise a church, for your Glory we ask in Jesus' name, amen.